So when you think of these words, what comes to mind? It's like heaven on earth. It's like heaven on earth. It is so good. Your favorite dessert? Your favorite vacation spot? Your new mattress? Your favorite trout pool on the bow? A hundred fish day on the lake? Mike Muirhead told me yesterday that twice at uh, Crawling Valley he's had a hundred fish days. That's amazing. A two-hour spa treatment? I've never had one. But I'd like to. I have visions of it. Or what if it's something like not having cerebral palsy? What if it just means good health? Is that heaven on earth? What if it's not having grain hair? Some of you ladies, some of you men too are thinking, yeah, I like that. What if it is to have enough hair to get gray? Some of us are thinking along those lines. What if it is to have the riders win the gray cup? What if it is to have the riders lose every game? Or is it something really simple like taking your grandson for ice cream, as I hope to do this week? My grandson's coming on Monday night. Or is it a stroll around the edge of Lake Louise? There are a lot of things that we might think of as heaven on earth. But here is something interesting about that expression. Last time I checked, one of the great questions that still stands in the minds of human beings is, or at least in Christians' minds, what exactly is heaven like? And so we say, well, it's heaven on earth. And yet so few of us really have a clear vision, I think, of what heaven is about. We aren't really sure. We have some hints in Scripture, but certainly nothing concrete and formal in terms of a detailed description. We just don't know. Lately, N.T. Wright and some others have been writing about heaven looking a lot more like earth than we typically imagine. But certainly with the full presence of God and with the earth and the heavens, for that matter, being entirely new. So it's not, then, like floating around on some ethereal cloud with God, maybe just a voice or just a force, with us unable to really dissect what it is that he is as we're around him. One thing we know is that it is described in Scripture as the kingdom of God. But what exactly is the kingdom? And the fact is, we're going to say a lot more about this in about six months. We're going to do a study on the kingdom of God in our church, beginning in about February or so, March, something like that. But what exactly is the kingdom? I don't think that it has to do with floating around on clouds. In fact, listen to these words from Jesus. He says in Matthew 12, 25 through 28, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city and household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? 
And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. And listen to this line. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, which of course we've been studying for a while now, then the kingdom of God, he says, has come upon you. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Well, doesn't that mean then, since Jesus was indeed driving out spirits by the kingdom of God, that the kingdom had come? It was present. It was there with him. So some interesting things. Clearly, the kingdom is to be a unity, one purpose, one meaning, everyone going in the same direction. Can't have it divided because we're all supposed to be together. There will be in that kingdom the Spirit of God, His presence, which is interesting because, again, we experience the presence of the Spirit of God now, which I think means that the kingdom is in somehow present now. The Spirit's present will cause, Jesus says, the expulsion of the demonic, which means that those who are living in the Spirit, with the Spirit, have some kind of control over that which is evil. And then here's the really startling thing to me, and that is that the kingdom is in some way showing itself now in the church, in the activity of Christ. We are participating in, we are building together the kingdom. When you see Jesus acting, Jesus says, you see the kingdom and it's present. And so if heaven is something different than floating around in the cosmos, with some clouds, then it could be that the kingdom has to do with something much more tangible here as the presence of Jesus is here specifically in us. Which I think that means, that means that when we're doing the kingdom work, when we're casting out demons, when we're healing the sick, when we're preaching the kingdom, when we're raising the dead, we have a bit of heaven coming into our world, in fact, through us. And I think the kingdom can be defined as God working his will through us and himself in our world. And that actually makes a great deal of sense. In Matthew 6.10, Jesus said a prayer. And one of the things that he said in his prayer is, Thy kingdom come. And you finish the rest of it for me. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that's interesting. Again, I don't know many people who have a clear understanding of heaven in terms of what it's going to be like. But whatever it is, Jesus wanted the reality of heaven to come and to be here. He was quite comfortable with the presence of the kingdom being lived out among us here in some way. And in fact, prays for his kingdom to come. Now, here's something else interesting. And if you want to turn in your Bibles here, you can. Look at Matthew chapter 10 with me. I'm just going to leave this slide up because I want us to keep kind of drinking this in. But in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, Jesus says, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, 
raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Now the expression the kingdom is near can mean different things. It could mean, of course, that the kingdom is about to come. But it could also mean that it's at hand in the sense of being right at hand. Something that is so near you can reach out and touch it. Something you can grasp onto, cling to it. It is right there with you. And I actually think that that's what Jesus was referring to when he was talking about the kingdom. And it's interesting that he sends the disciples out and he says to them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. So what were they doing? They were doing the work of Jesus. In fact, Jesus tells them specifically to do these things because that's what he was doing. And he sends them out in his name to do the things that he had been doing, which he regards as evidence of the presence of the kingdom. And I think all of that means that they were to bring in the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. They were to do exactly the kind of work that Jesus was doing. And so the presence of the kingdom, heaven on earth, if you will, has very little to do with pleasures. It has very little to do with some idyllic, beautiful scene in which you might find yourself sitting on a mountaintop and you say, heaven on earth. Or you sit on a beach in Hawaii and you look at your wife and say, this is heaven on earth. It seems to be something different. That the presence of Christ in our world through his spirit and the kingdom working among us looks like heaven on earth. And when life overcomes death in some way, and we as Christians participate in it, we're bringing the impact of the kingdom into our world. And so the kingdom is meant to be transformative. It changes things, especially in the lives of hurting people. Again, listen to the language of Jesus. The kingdom of God is near. How do you know the kingdom of God is near? Well, because people are being healed. Demons are being cast out. The dead are being raised. Lives are being changed. Transformation is taking place. That's when the kingdom is present. That's when heaven is on earth. Gives us kind of a different perspective on what that phrase means. We have a chance to really see things changed. And so Jesus is in the garden... He's about to be arrested. This throng comes at him. They've got spears and swords and they're ready to attack. And Peter reaches over and grabs somebody's sword and whacks off the servant's ear. And what does Jesus say? No, Peter. Peter, no, that's not my kind of kingdom. That's not what I'm doing. My kingdom is going to be something entirely different. Because the sword of Jesus is not a military weapon. It's the sword of transformative acts that his spirit will bring into the world through his spirit-filled people. And when we act in the name of Jesus, we're bringing heaven on earth. I can remember my second year in university, we had a guy that was living in our dormitory. He was actually the, 
He'd been brought into uh, as his uh, intern year as an MDiv student. He'd done a, a degree with an, a seminary in the East, and he'd come out to Oregon, and he was working for a year uh, to get his internship in. As, and as he did that, the, the school made him the head of my dormitory. And so I've got this MDiv student, or now graduated, living in the dorm, and I'm talking to him all the time about Christianity and faith. And We talked about serious stuff. He had gone to the same school that Martin Luther King Jr. had gone to. And so he talked a lot about Martin Luther King Jr.'s work and the transformations in our society because of what Martin Luther King brought. So we talked about those kinds of things. And I remember sitting in his living room and saying to him, I don't want to just get a degree and just be like everybody else. What I want to do is I want to do something to change the world. And, of course, I was just like all of those other idealistic young university students that think they can go out and change the world. And so I said to him, I, I want to change the world. I don't want to just get a job. And it, I look back on that and I think, were those just idle words? Was that just idealism? Or is there something to the idea that we can actually change the world? That things can be different? And one of the things that I love about Christianity is that Christianity puts people in a position where we have a chance to change the world. We don't have to sit idly by. We don't have to act as though it's just a nice saying. We can have an impact and actually see the world changed. Because the kingdom of God is near. And through his spirit and presence, God wants to see something dramatic happen. Transformation to take place in the lives of people. And he gives us every resource and opportunity to see that take place. And so if you're young today and you think to yourself, maybe you just came back from Estonia. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to just get a job. I want to work to change the world. Well, I would say to you, don't think that that has to just be idealistic talk. Meaningless conversation that we say when we're young and then later on we become calloused. And we don't have to have those ideas anymore. We're more realistic. I would say that instead we need to keep our idealism because it's not just idealism. I would say that the Spirit of God wants to work through us to change the world. The question is, do we have the hearts and the minds, the focus, to stay there in our thinking and to realize what can really happen in our world? I'm going to play now a lengthy clip from a movie that many of you have seen. It was on TV, I noticed, just last night. This is the closing few minutes of Saving Private Ryan. And what happens here is that a captain, John Miller, has given his life in order to save Private Ryan because Ryan's three brothers were all killed in action. And they didn't want to see the fourth brother killed. And so they sent a group in to try and bring him out of harm's way. And these guys who went in after him made sacrifices. They made the sacrifices of their lives. 
And I want you to listen really carefully to what Tom Hanks says to Matt Damon right at the beginning, or near the beginning. And then I want you to listen to what the actor says at the very end. The rest of it's good too. But the very beginning and the very end are the most important. from the front indicate James did his duty in combat with great courage and steadfast dedication even after he was informed of the tragic loss your family has suffered in this great campaign to rid the world of tyranny and oppression I take great pleasure in joining the Secretary of War the men and women of the United States Army and citizens of a grateful nation in wishing you good health and many years of happiness with James at your side Nothing, not even the safe return of a beloved son, can compensate you or the thousands of other American families who have suffered great loss in this tragic war. And I might share with you some words which have sustained me through long, dark nights of peril, loss, and heartache. And I quote, I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost, and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Abraham Lincoln, yours very sincerely and respectfully, George C. Marshall, General Chief of Staff. me. 
James. Captain John H. Miller. I'm sure that you can, that you sense with me the appropriateness of having the final scene there before the American flag anyway, focus on the cross. Someone gave his life that we might live. And when he did that, he wasn't expecting that we would live haphazardly that we would live ineffectively. That we would live just spontaneously. But that we would live with purpose. And while in the movie it says, earn it. And it means earn what we've offered to you by giving all our lives. We aren't going to earn anything. But Jesus deserves for us to give our best to him. And in the process, change the world. And so it's not idealistic. It's a real hope by our Lord and Savior who gave his life for us that we might live in such a way as to transform our world. I pray that you take that call seriously. Let's pray. Father, we do pray today that your kingdom would come. Father, we pray that it would come in us, that it would come in our activity, that through us your spirit would work and that we would work to transform our world through your presence in us. And I pray you'd make every life, every heart here such that we can commit ourselves completely to fulfilling the vision that you have for us. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.